What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. I hate fields. I hate desolate places. And I'm no longer fond of the woods as I used to be as a kid. In short, I hate the ever-loving hell out of Ohio. And don't get me wrong, there are a lot of states worse than Ohio. But to me, this place will forever be a sick hole where people go to die. You don't go to Ohio because you want to experience life. You go there because you hate your life. And are a little masochist. There are literally no valid reasons to live there. That said, I did not come here today to bash Ohio. While I do believe this is one of the vilest places to live on Earth, this is only that. This is only my belief. My opinion is biased because of my experience as a private investigator. You want to know why? <laughs> well, buckle up, because this is quite the story. When I was about 28 years old, I decided that being a cop was not for me. Even though I went to school and trained and got a job in a city that I liked, I ended up bored to hell and back. Most things I dealt with back in the days were domestic abuse cases, drunkards pissing on the side of the streets, and kids smoking weed and vandalizing the back of local stores. It wasn't very exciting. It wasn't like how I envisioned it. I didn't become a cop to aim my gun at people. But you know, I also didn't become a cop to sign off parking tickets all day long either. And some could say I was lucky I lived in a peaceful town. Worked in just as peaceful of a county. But to me, it wasn't the life I wanted. I wanted excitement. And so I retired early and decided to become a private investigator instead. And during my time as a cop, I made a lot of good friends. A lot of connections. So I managed to get a lot of high-tech surveillance equipment. And for about five to six months, I got small contracts here and there. You know, cheating wife. A husband who's spending maybe just a little too much money in the joint account. People trying to figure out if their loved ones got over their gambling addiction. It wasn't the life of excitement I was looking for, but I already liked my days a lot more. I wasn't making a lot of money, but it paid the bills, and soon enough, I had a reputation. People passed my name around, and more and more customers came to me. Until this one specific case was dropped on my desk, a woman had gone missing, and the local police didn't want to do anything about it. And why? Well, because the husband, who was my soon-to-be client, had spent a lot of nights in the county jail because of domestic abuse arrests. Plus, the disappearance wasn't 72 hours long yet, barely 40 even. Most officers didn't say, but probably thought the wifey decided to pack her things and move finally. But according to the man, well, that wasn't the case. He told me, and I quote, She can't have left, sir. She can't have left without her goddamn cats and mountain of shoes. 
She even left her mother's ring behind. She said she was just going to buy some cigarettes. She didn't even have a bat. While it wouldn't have been the first time someone just up and left without anything, I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. But also, 5000 in cash does that to a person too. Furthermore, I had a good clue about where to start. The couple lived near Walter Hollow, a little off Route 278. They owned a small farmhouse and the closest convenience store was past that desolate stretch of road. I accepted the money and said I would do whatever I could to find his missing wife and not to worry. I reassured him. I told him she probably went to her sister's and even joked about how sometimes wives just needed to whine to someone else for a while. He laughed as well, but his gaze grew somber. That ain't the feeling like that, Chief. I got a bad feeling about it. Another short chuckle escaped his lips before he put on his dirty trucker cap and wished me good luck. At this point, it would be easy for me to think the man disposed of her. I was trying to make small talk. A creeping cold sensation ran over me as I thought I might end up finding a body. I decided to trust that this man was honest, not a good guy in the least considering all the calls for domestic abuse, but maybe not a murderer. I sincerely hoped I would find her at a relative's place. Once the man was gone, I went through all the information I could find about his wife. Now Natalie, well, she didn't have a lot of relatives. Her parents were long gone, and the only other relative she have lived in Canada. I still called, and as subtly as I could, tried to figure out if Natalie was there. She wasn't. I left my office with my keys in my hand, decided to start investigating on site. Robert had given me a picture of Natalie in front of her car so that I could recognize either as fast as possible. And so I made my way close to their residence in Ohio. And as I was going down the road, I noticed a small fruits and veggie stand. You know, one of those little pop-up farm stands. And a few cars were parked there, including Natalie's. I turned into the parking lot and walked straight to the stand. There was only a single old lady, and I asked her about the car. She said I had been there since yesterday. Maybe the day before, but she wasn't sure. She also told me she had no idea who the owner was and hadn't seen them. Then said she would call the cops in a few days if the car had just been abandoned there. Because her parking, and I quote, was for customers only. Thanking her, I turned around and went to investigate the car. I also checked the surroundings in case there would be a camera somewhere. But... Considering this was only a farmer's stand, obviously there was none. The car didn't have a single scratch, but it also wasn't locked. I put surgical gloves on and opened the driver's door, only to hear the cell phone hit the gravel near my feet. Fortunately for me, it also wasn't locked. I carefully picked it up and turned it on and realized that Natalie was texting when she disappeared. She was texting a certain Michael, telling him that she couldn't handle it anymore, that her husband once more threatened her with violence, and that she 
well, text stopped there. It was never sent, and it was never finished. There it was, the thrill I was seeking. I could feel it growing inside of me, and I couldn't help but smile. Now, I know this sounds devious, but I had been waiting my whole life to feel this alive, this intrigued. I also was obviously worried about Natalie, but for the first time, I finally felt like something was happening for me. I swallowed thickly and put the cell phone in a little plastic bag and shoved it in my pocket. If she had been taken from her car, there should be traces left behind. The car itself was in pristine condition. It was an old car, but there wasn't any sign of a struggle inside of it, which meant it all happened very fast. After a thorough investigation of the car, I closed the doors and started looking around it, and at my feet, I noticed that the gravel was a mess. It's not something people would pay attention to, but it was the only sign that someone or something had moved around a lot. There were a lot of patches of dirt and little mounds of gravel showing that there had been movement. It all went straight toward the trail leading into the woods. Now, it wasn't a perfect trail, and I was only going off a hunch since there were no footsteps, so to speak. But the way the gravel was misplaced made me think that maybe something had been dragged, and I hope that something wasn't Natalie, but the chances are that it was. I followed the trail until I was at the edge of the forest, and my stomach churned as I saw something in the corner of my left eye. A little way into the woods, not on the trail, a piece of shredded clothes hung on a branch. I recognized the woolen khaki vest from the picture. It seemed that Natalie liked that woolen vest. As I reached it, I could feel my heartbeat increase. There was blood on it, and a lot of it. The material was soaked through, and when I looked down on the ground, I gagged at the sight. There laid half a hand in a portion of Natalie's wrist. The cut wasn't clean, and it didn't look like a bite. It looked more like it had been torn off of her. The blood had long coagulated, which told me she'd been there. It, excuse me, her hand had been there for more than a day. The skin looked pasty and gray, and there was a significant number of flies buzzing around, gnawing away at the decomposing flesh. I turned around to breathe and checked my watch. It was only 4 p.m., so I still had some time. I looked back at the hand, then at the tree branch where her vest was, checking my surroundings. I found the bloody trail quickly, but fortunately, no more pieces of her. I found shredded clothes, tree bark stained with blood. The trail ended near the small stream leading into a river a few miles away. I knew the area a little bit, but not enough to start looking around the forest to find the rest of her. Plus, since it was October, I knew the sun would begin to set in about two hours, so I had to make do with the time that I had. I stood by the stream for a few minutes, only to collect myself. And then I heard it. I wasn't alone. 
I listened to the telltale sign of a branch cracking under the weight of another, and turned around quickly, gun raised and pointed at the direction I heard the sound coming from. I didn't see anything at first, because it was still a bit away from me. And then, it moved away from the large tree it was hiding behind. It looked... human, so to speak, but with limbs that were straight out of a horror movie. Its legs were at least five feet tall on their own, with a much smaller torso in comparison. I couldn't see the creature's face because of a branch, but I shot at it. Like hell, I was going to have a moment and let it give it a chance to reach me. But I was wrong. Dear God, I was wrong. With legs like that, it took the thing about a second to move away and start dashing toward me. My instincts took over, and I started running too. At first, I only wanted to follow the stream, as to not get lost, but I realized that if I did that, I would never be able to outrun this monster. Not with the legs attached to it. It would catch up with me in a matter of seconds. So, I entered the forest and prayed I wouldn't get lost. I had good cardio and good reflex. Both are needed to become a cop. I ran for at least 15 minutes straight, and I zigzagged between trees, jumped over roots, and got hit in the face by branches a few times. I had a scratch above my eyebrow, but I didn't stop running until I felt my lungs were about to explode. Then I spotted the biggest tree I could find and hid behind it, trying to calm my breathing down. But despite running for so long, I felt like I was being watched. At this point, I was far from the shredded clothes, my car, or even the road. I couldn't even hear the stream. I was thoroughly lost in the forest hunted by whatever it was that captured the subject of my investigations. And then, I heard that telltale sign of a twig crack. To my left, about five minutes after I hid behind that tree, I cursed under my breath and dashed in the opposite direction. A scream, but not one of fear or pain. No, it was an angry yell coming from another direction, forcing me once again to change my course and dig myself further in that goddamn forest. I finally had my horror movie moment as I heard something behind me, and instead of pushing forward, I dared to look over my shoulder. And I saw it. And at the same time, I tripped on a root. And with less grace than a pig rolling in mud, I fell on my face and hit my head on a small rock. I was dizzy. There was blood running down the side of my face. My vision was a bit blurry. But I was smart enough to turn around and point my gun at whatever was coming at me. It's fast. And in its hands, it was holding a weird looking rusted tool. The kind that if it bit into your flesh and someone would pull with enough strength, might be sharp and strong enough to rip off a piece. And I thought of Natalie's hand for a moment, but this monster was catching up to me. I needed to brace myself. I swallowed thickly, my heart beat so loud it was drowning every noise around me. 
and for a second, it almost felt like nature itself had paused. I inhaled sharply, aimed, and shot. I hit the creature on its right shoulder, and its howl brought me back to reality. I wasted not a second more and fired again, striking him in the chest, but it wasn't giving up. It closed the distance and aimed as well, but I was faster, and I had two more bullets. They both hit, and I felt this creature's disgusting blood on my face as it gushed out of the two new wounds I had just given it. I barely had time to roll to the side, and its body came crushing down next to mine, its rusty tool nicking my forearm as it went down. I thought I would need a tetanus shot for that, but... At that moment, the most important thing that I was alive could find out whatever that creature was. I took two seconds to compose myself. I was staring at its back. It was human. I could see straps behind his head, and everything about him was human. He was awfully skinny and had abnormally long legs and arms, but he was definitely human. I turned his body around and finally got a glimpse of his face. It was wearing a strange Halloween mask that was based on a swamp monster. I couldn't tell because it was camouflaged so well with the forest because of how brown and green it was. But I guess that was precisely why he chose to wear it. It took me about an hour to find my way back to the stream while leaving cues behind to find the body again. Once I was in the parking lot, I used my cell phone to call the local authorities. There was blood caked on the side of my head, but my wounds were minor. I later learned that the man I shot and killed was a local called Long Leg Larry, and that he's always been kind of strange. People thought of him as a simpleton, and he was known to be quite a heavy drinker. He lived alone in his late parents' house, and nobody knew him to have a hobby nor friends. I assisted the local police in the search, and we found Natalie, actually alive, in Long Leg Larry's parents' house. She had been tied up in the root cellar, a makeshift tourniquet on her arm. She was alive, but barely. We had gotten her just in time. Hell, I think another hour and she probably would have been dead. Over the following year, I'd gotten to know Natalie, and I would visit her often when I was in Ohio. She ended up leaving her husband and marrying another man, and having a cute little girl named Elizabeth. I gave her the 5000 I'd made from her husband as a wedding present so that she could go buy herself a prosthetic. The guy she married? <laughs> yeah. His name is Michael. I never told the ex-husband about that text that I found on his wife's phone. She's in a much better place now, and I wish her all the luck.